Chapter Twenty One of Tests of the D'Urbervilles by Thomas Hardy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tests of the D'Urbervilles by Thomas Hardy, read by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Twenty One. There was a great stir in the milk house just after breakfast. The churn revolved as usual, but the butter would not come. Whenever this happened, the dairy was paralyzed. Squish squash echoed the milk in the great cylinder, but never arose the sound they waited for. Dairyman Crick and his wife, the milkmaids Tess, Marion, Retty Priddle, Is Hewitt, and the married ones from the cottages, also Mr. Clare, Jonathan Cale, Old Deborah, and the rest stood gazing hopelessly at the churn, and the boy who kept the horse going outside put on moon-like eyes to show his sense of the situation. Even the melancholy horse himself seemed to look in at the window in inquiring despair at each walk round. "'Tis years since I went to conjurer Trendle's son at Egdon, years,' said the dairyman bitterly and he was nothing to whatever his father had been. I have said it fifty times, if I have said it once, that I don't believe in un, and I don't believe in un. But I shall have to go to un, if he's alive. But yes, I shall have to go to un, if this sort of thing continues." Even Mr. Clare began to feel tragical at the dairyman's desperation. Conjurer Fall, t'other side of Casterbridge, that they used to call Wido, was a very good man when I was a boy," said Jonathan Cale. "But he's rotten as touchwood by now. My grandfather used to go to Conjurer Mighton, out by Owlscombe, and a clever man I was, so I've heard grandfather say," continued Mister Crick. But there's no such genuine folk about nowadays." Mrs. Crick's mind kept nearer to the matter in hand. "'Perhaps somebody in the house is in love,' she said tentatively. "'I've heard tell in my younger days that that will cause it. Why, Crick, that maid we had years ago, do you mind, and how the butter didn't come then?' "'Oh, yes, yes!' But that isn't the rights, aunt. It had nothing to do with the love-making. I can make all about it. Twas the damage to the churn." He turned to Clare. "'Jack Dollop, a horse-bird of a fellow we had there as a milker at one time here, sir, caught in a young woman over at Melstock, and deceived her, as he had deceived many afore. And he had another sort of woman to reckon we this time and it were not the girl herself. One holy Tuesday of all the days of the almanac, we was here as we mid be now, only there was no churning in hand, when we zid the girl's mother coming up to the door we a great brass-mounted umbrella in her hand that would have felled an ox, and saying, Do Jack Dollop work here, because I want him. I have a big bone to pick wi' he, I can assure un. And some way behind her mother walked Jack's young woman, crying bitterly into her handkerchief. 
"'Lord, there's a time,' said Jack, looking out of the window at him. "'She'll murder me. Where shall I get? Where shall I—' "'Don't tell her where I be.' And with that he scrambled into the churn through the trap-door and shut himself inside, just as the young woman's mother busted into the milk-house. "'The villain, where is he?' says she. "'I'll claw his face for him. Let me only catch him.' Well, she hunted about everywhere, bally ragging Jack by side and by seam, Jack lying a-most stifled inside the churn, and the poor maid—or young woman, rather—standing at the door, crying her eyes out. I shall never forget it, never, twould a melted a marble stone. But she couldn't find him nowhere at all." The dairyman paused, and one or two words of comment came from the listeners. Dairyman Crick's stories often seemed to be ended where they were not really so, and strangers were betrayed into premature ejaculations of finality, though old friends knew better. The narrator went on. "'Well, how the old woman should have found the wit to guess it, I could never tell, but she found out that he was inside that there churn. Without saying a word she took hold of the winch—it was turned by hand power then—and round she swung him, and Jack began to flock about inside. "'Oh, lard! Stop the churn! Let me out!' says he, popping out his head. I shall be churned into a pummy. He was a cowardly chap in his heart, as most men mostly be. "'Not till ye make amends for ravaging her virgin innocence,' says the woman. "'Stop the churn, you old witch!' screams he. "'You call me old witch, do you, you deceiver?' says she. "'When you ought to have been calling me mother-in-law these last five months.' and on went the churn, and Jack's bones rattled around again. Well, none of us ventured to interfere, and at last I promised to make it right we are. "'Yes, I'll be as good as my word,' he said. And so it ended that day." While the listeners were smiling their comments, there was a quick movement behind their backs, and they looked round. Tess, pale-faced, had gone to the door. "'How warm tis to-day,' she said, almost inaudibly. It was warm, and none of them connected her withdrawal with the reminiscences of the dairyman. He went forward and opened the door for her, saying, with tender raillery, "'Why, maidy?' He frequently, with unconscious irony, gave her this pet name. "'The prettiest milker I've got in my dairy. You mustn't get so fagged as this at the first breath of summer weather, or we shall be finely put to for want of ee by dog-day, shan't we, Mr. Clare?' "'I was faint, and I think I am better out of doors,' she said mechanically, and disappeared outside. Fortunately for her the milk in the revolving churn at that moment changed its squashing for a decided flick-flack. "'Tis comin!' cried Mrs. Crick, and the attention of all was called off from Tess. That fair sufferer soon recovered herself externally, but she remained much depressed all the afternoon. When the evening milking was done she did not care to be with the rest of them, and went out of doors, 
wandering along she knew not whither. She was wretched, oh, so wretched, at the perception that to her companions the dairyman's story had been rather a humorous narration than otherwise. None of them but herself seemed to see the sorrow of it. To a certainty, not one knew how cruelly it touched the tender place in her experience. The evening sun was now ugly to her, like a great inflamed wound in the sky. Only a solitary, cracked-voice reed-sparrow greeted her from the bushes by the river, in a sad, machine-made tone, resembling that of a past friend whose friendship she had outworn. In these long June days the milkmaids, and indeed most of the household, went to bed at sunset or sooner, the morning work before milking being so early and heavy at a time of full pails. Tess usually accompanied her fellows upstairs. Tonight, however, she was the first to go to their common chamber, and she had dozed when the other girls came in. She saw them undressing in the orange light of the vanished sun, which flushed their forms with its colour. She dozed again, but she was reawakened by their voices, and quietly turned her eyes towards them. Neither of her three chamber companions had got into bed. They were standing in a group, in their nightgowns, barefooted at the window, the last red rays of the west still warming their faces and necks, and the walls around them. They were watching somebody in the garden with deep interest, their three faces close together, a jovial and round one, a pale one with dark hair, and a fair one whose tresses were auburn. "'Don't push. You can see as well as I,' said Retty, the auburn-haired and youngest girl, without removing her eyes from the window. "'Tis no use for you to be in love with him any more than me, Retty Priddle said jolly-faced Marian, the eldest, slyly. "'His thoughts be of other cheeks than thine.' Retty Priddle still looked, and the others looked again. "'There he is again!' cried Is Hewitt, the pale girl with dark damp hair and keenly cut lips. "'You needn't say anything, Is,' answered Retty, "'for I zid you kiss in his shade.' "'What did you see her doing?' asked Marian. "'Why, he was standing over the way-tub to let off the way, and the shade of his face came upon the wall behind, close to Iz, who was standing there filling a vat. She put her mouth against the wall, and kissed the shade of his mouth. I zid her, though he didn't.' "'Oh, is Hewitt!' said Marian. A rosy spot came into the middle of Iz Hewitt's cheek. "'Well, there was no harm in't, she declared with attempted coolness, and if I be in love wi' un, so is Retty too, and so be you, Marian, come to that. Marian's full face could not blush past its chronic pinkness. Ay, she said, what a tale! Oh, there he is again, dear eyes, dear face, dear Mr. Clare. There, you've owned it. So have you, so have we all said Marian, with the dry frankness of complete indifference to opinion. It is silly to pretend otherwise amongst ourselves, though we need not own it to other folks. I would just marry in to-morrow. So would I, and more, murmured Is Hewitt. 
"'And I, too,' whispered the more timid Retty. The listener grew warm. "'We can't all marry him,' said Ears. "'We shan't, either of us which is worse still,' said the eldest. "'There he is again.' They all three blew him a silent kiss. "'Why?' asked Retty quickly. "'Because he likes Tess Derbyfield best,' said Marian, lowering her voice. "'I have watched him every day, and have found it out.' There was a reflective silence. "'But she don't care anything for un?' at length breathed Retty. "'Well, I sometimes think that, too.' "'But how silly all this is,' said Is Hewitt impatiently. "'Of course he won't marry any one of us, or Tess either, a gentleman's son who's going to be a great landowner and a farmer abroad, more likely to ask us to come we in his farm hands at so much a year. One sighed, and another sighed, and Marian's plump figure sighed the biggest of all. Somebody in bed hard by sighed too. Tears came into the eyes of Retty Priddle, the pretty red-haired youngest, the last bud of the Paradells, so important in the county annals. They watched silently a little longer, their three faces still close together as before, and the triple hues of their hair mingling. But the unconscious Mr. Clare had gone indoors, and they saw him no more, and the shades beginning to deepen, they crept into their beds. In a few minutes they heard him ascend the ladder to his own room. Marian was soon snoring, but Iz did not drop into forgetfulness for a long time. Retty Priddle cried herself to sleep. The deeper passion Tess was very far from sleeping even then. This conversation was another of the bitter pills she had been obliged to swallow that day. Scarce the least feeling of jealousy arose in her breast. For that matter, she knew herself to have the preference. Being more finely formed, better educated, and though the youngest except Retty, more woman than either, she perceived that only the slightest ordinary care was necessary for holding her own in Angel Clare's heart against these, her candid friends. But the grave question was, ought she to do this? There was, to be sure, hardly a ghost of a chance for either of them, in a serious sense, but there was, or had been, a chance of one or the other inspiring him with a passing fancy for her, and enjoying the pleasure of his attentions while he stayed there. Such unequal attachments had led to marriage, and she had heard from Mrs. Crick that Mr. Clare had one day asked, in a laughing way, what would be the use of his marrying a fine lady, and all the while ten thousand acres of colonial pasture to feed, and cattle to rear, and corn to reap? A farm-woman would be the only sensible kind of wife for him, and whether Mr. Clare had spoken seriously or not, why should she, who could never conscientiously allow any man to marry her now, and who had religiously determined that she would never be tempted to do so, draw off Mr. Clare's attention from other women, for the brief happiness of sunning herself in his eyes while he remained at Talbothay's. End of chapter 21